We shall be reading from the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 28. That's Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verses 1 to 28. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them in that portion of the scripture and join me in reading God's word. Let's all rise in reverence to the word of God. Hebrews 9, 1-28 Now, even the first covenant had regulations for divine worship and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was equipped, the outer sanctuary, in which were the lampstand, the table, and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's staff which budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the anointing cover, atoning cover. But about these things we, can now, we cannot now speak in detail. Now... When these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the that the way into the holy place was not yet been disclosed, while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food, drink, and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the violations that were committed under the first covenant. Those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a covenant, there must of necessity but the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when people are dead. For it is never in force while in the one while the one who made it, lives. Therefore, even the first covenant has not inaug inaugurated without blood. For when 
every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the, cal of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet gold and hyssop and sprinkled, with, sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God made, which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And almost all things are cleansed with blood according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was ne necessary for the, for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than, than this. For Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest entered the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of ages, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without refer reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Praise God for the reading of his word. We may now be seated. Good morning. From the old to the new, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 28. In the old covenant, God wrote his laws on tablets of stone. But in the new covenant, God would write his laws on the minds and hearts of his chosen people. His people would obey his laws because they wanted to. Not because they had to. In the old covenant, it was external. Written on tablets of stone. Read it, obey it. But the people failed to obey it. And that was the point, to show that people, the fallen nature of man, will find it impossible to obey all the laws of God. Therefore, man needed forgiveness from God. But not only forgiveness. God had to write his laws in the minds and hearts of the people of the new covenant. If you think you're a believer, make sure you have this sign within you. It's not a sign you see, it's a sign you know deep inside your mind and your heart. 
that once you believed, once you repented of your sins, or even before that, God would put his laws in your mind and heart. Therefore, a true believer desires to obey God. He is not forced to. She is not forced to. They want to. They don't see the commands of Christ as a burden like in the Old Testament, but in them there is a wanting, a longing. In fact, we could even say there is a need, a need to have faith and a need to obey. Once we followed sin, and sin was on our minds and hearts continually, regularly. And that includes gossip, hate, adultery, lust, fornication. It's at the forefront. But once Christ writes his laws in the minds and hearts, something unnatural happens. Let me say, something supernatural happens. Something happens within. That now, there is a turning away from here and facing Christ and his commands. Now there's a desire to follow, to obey. A desire to be like him. This desire cannot be conditioned by men. We cannot just condition anybody to just follow. It is God's work. It is truly the work of God and not the work of man. Therefore, we cannot give glory to man. We cannot give glory to ourselves. We cannot say, because I followed, because I repented, because I believed. In one perspective, meaning the human perspective, that is what we see, and that is what is observable. But on the divine perspective, what happened behind the scenes was actually God at work in the minds and hearts of those whom he has called if you believe you are a Christian or a disciple of Christ, if you think you're a believer, recall the time that there was a change within you. For some of us, it was, we don't know when it happened. You just found the desire. Some of us, boom, instantly. An event, a turning point when you heard the gospel. And we saw instant change. And we hear stories of that. And there's some of us would take a year and we don't know when it was. But suddenly, somewhere along the line, your heart changed. Now, you are no longer forced to. You don't feel forced to obey. You want to obey. Because such is the work of God writing his laws in your mind's and hearts. And what if you don't have that? I say to you, humble yourself before the Lord and beg for his mercy in Christ. He is merciful. Know your sins. Acknowledge you have sinned. Do not justify sin. 
Acknowledge it and say, Lord, forgive me. And pray that the Holy Spirit would transform you. Because it is the, the work of God. I could say that many of us here from time past of years ago, several years ago, I could not see the fruit in our, ver in our very lives of the fruit of a believer. Many do not even have the appetite to meditate on the Word of God. They don't even read it. Oh, sure, they know one verse after another, which confused them. So they have their own cultic theology because they did not study God's Word in context. Once upon a time, there was no desire from some of you, but somewhere along the line, there was a deep hunger and longing, and there was this joy within when you discover the truth. And the truth is not on the surface. It's not just connecting so many verses and you create your own conclusion. No, it is studying the very theology, philosophy, and theology of the authors and their intent why they write what they wrote and understanding it. And somehow the Holy Spirit showing us from old to new the beautiful connection of all of the grand plan of God. The emphasis of last Sunday's sermon was the new covenant, since people cannot obey the old, Christ sent his son not only as a high priest and a sacrifice, but through that, he is a mediator of the new covenant with better promises. And one of the promises there is forgiveness, God forgets, I will remember their sins no more, or to be accurate, will not hold it against them anymore, meaning justified. And another would be that he would write his laws in our minds and hearts, and I will make myself known to them. It becomes a personal knowledge. God becomes a personal relationship. It's not, I know about God. No, no, I know God. And we're not even bragging about it. It's just a humble knowledge within us. It's not knowing about somebody. It's knowing somebody personally. Sometimes I have friends and you have friends that are a bit famous in Bicol or somewhere in different parts of the country. And when people learn, you know her? You know him? What they were asking or their, their expression meant, you know them personally? So what God, one of the promises of the new covenant, it's not just knowing about God. It is knowing him and it is God who initiates this relationship through Christ our Lord. The new covenant. But the new covenant could not be enforced without a perfect high priest who could offer the perfect sacrifice. And only one was qualified to be the high priest in heaven, Christ himself. And Christ himself was the only perfect sacrifice. 
Now, in chapter 9, the author discussed the rooms in the tabernacle. There was the holy place and most holy place. The author did not mention the outer court, but he mentioned those that are within the tent, the holy place, the most holy place. Now, the author mentioned about the furniture and items. It is essential to note the position of the altar of instance. So incense. Some of you are, are students of scripture. You would remember that in the Old Testament chronicling, the altar of incense was before the tent, uh, before the curtain. And inside would be the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. But here in chapter 9 of Hebrews, it's inside. There are at least nine possible explanations of this. But I have chosen one that seems to be the most logical, that once a year. Because in this context, the author is talking about the high priest entering the Holy of Holies to sacrifice. Once a year, they bring in this altar of incense. Because that was first where the, the blood was, and the blood would be sprinkled as well on the mercy seat. And there was the incense, which is a symbol of worship. The author explained the role of the high priest to enter the most holy place once a year. This is Israelite tradition. Once a year, the high priest, he would offer blood, means there was an animal who had to sacrifice a perfect animal without spot or wrinkle, white as it can be. It is sacrificed. Sacrifice for his own sins and then the sins of the people. The most holy place, the inner court, the most inner, was exclusive for the high priest in the old way. The old system, however, could not cleanse the people's conscience. Why? Because it's external. It dealt with food and cleansing ceremonies. Now, what the author was saying in chapter 9 is, this is the old way. Let me show you the way of Christ. The old way and in the new covenant. The old covenant and here is the new. Christ offers a better way. Again, he is speaking to the Jewish believers in that time. Somewhere in, sometime in mid-80s, 60s. And in that time, there were those who were being recruited back to Judaism, before there was a gray element that you go here and you go here at the same time. And some are becoming more committed to Christ, seeing the beauty of the simplicity of what Christ has done. However, there are those rabbis working hard at recruiting them back, and thus there was an apostasy, a falling away from the faith. The author wrote, for the purpose of what? Convincing them and securing them about who Christ is, how he is much better and greater than Judaism. That Judaism is simply a shadow. The Old Testament ceremonies were just a shadow of who is the substance, Christ himself. Christ is the high priest who entered the heavenly tabernacle, not made with human hands. He entered offering 
his own blood, which is superior to the blood of animals used for ceremonial cleansing. His unblemished blood can cleanse the conscience from dead works through the Holy Spirit. In the old ways, which was external, it doesn't clear the conscience. There's still that sense of guilt, and there's still a lot of regret. There's a lot of incompleteness of it because it was merely external. Whereas in Christ, it cleanses our conscience because there is forgiveness of sins. And there is a sense of justification. I was made justified because of Christ, even though I was guilty. And there is that point that the conscience is cleansed, that there is a desire to fulfill the law of God. Let's, let's read uh, verse 11 and take note. His blood cleanses from dead works. Dead works meaning external ceremonies. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, that is not of this creation, meaning not of this world. Verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. So there's a tabernacle in heaven as we have discussed a few weeks ago. There's a tabernacle in heaven, and the tabernacle made by Moses, it then became the temple, was a copy of the original which is in heaven. And that's what the author is saying. Christ offered himself in the heavenly tabernacle. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, it's a type of bull, Sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The blood of bulls cannot cleanse the conscience. But ceremonially, you are declared clean. Ceremonially. But it's external. But how much more? He said, if the blood of goats were offered in the old system, how much more precious is the blood of Jesus? How much more precious is his blood? Why is Jesus had to, why, why must Jesus be the sacrifice? Because somebody must live this earth Tempted like we were in different aspects, in all aspects, however, not sinning. A perfect man is worthy to be sacrificed. Otherwise, there is nobody else. There is nobody else worthy to be offered. So Christ is the high priest. The old covenant could not clear the conscience because it was external. But in the new covenant, Christ's blood cleanses the believer's conscience from dead work. Somehow, somewhere in our lives, we want to stop. We want to stop dead works. Meaning, we want to obey. We want to follow Christ. 
The clear conscience of a true believer does not come from his own righteousness. Christ made that righteousness possible through his blood. What does that mean? We are unrighteous. But his blood, not only ceremonially, but internally cleanses us. In the sight of God, which is a similar theology you'd find in Romans, we have been justified. Meaning, we are guilty, but because of this sacrifice... Based on their ceremonial law, an innocent can take the place of the guilty. And it was an animal who was innocent. The old covenant, something had to die. So it was animals. In the new covenant, Christ had to die as the sacrifice to usher in the new. I hope we appreciate this. Why? If we do not understand who Christ is based on the theology of Scripture... We will lack in our understanding of what he did. What is the symbol of it? When I was much, a much younger Christian, I still couldn't get it. Even though I, when I was not a Christian, but I was active in our school, the religion of our school. I could not, why must he die to save us? What's the connection? What? He just died. And uh, uh, because I could not understand because the scriptures were not taught. So let us appreciate as we study this, I see that's why he had to die. There must be a sacrifice before the new covenant can be ushered in. An innocent must die, but no longer bulls and goats and sheep, no longer that, none other than the Son of God should be sacrificed for for the lost. Made possible through Christ. Number two, Christ the mediator. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant through his death. Death is necessary for a covenant to be enforced. In the old, it was the death of animals. In the new, the death of Christ enforced it. Blood needs to be shed for forgiveness to take effect. Verse 15 for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the violations that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. There were violations, sins. But those whom God has called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. The old covenant revealed sin, but the old could not save anybody. It just revealed what sin was. And there must be a need that somebody, sh uh, an innocent animal should die on your behalf to receive the punishment. It was a symbol to prepare us for the coming of Christ. It those were symbolic to make Israel understand of the coming Messiah. Some of them understood it, but not all of them. The old covenant could not save anyone. But the new covenant, through Christ's death, sets free from the penalty of sins. Those who are called will receive their in eternal inheritance in Christ. But the eternal inheritance came with a price. The death of Christ. The price was too high. It had to be the Son of God who had to die. It was too high. Nobody can pay it except the Son of God. 
The Son of God, he was not yet called Son of God in the Old Testament. John called him the Word. Where was he in creation? Because Scripture says everything was created by him and for him. Where was he in chapter 1? He was the Word spoken, and so it came into being. He was one with God, and he is God. Then he had to become man one God, three persons. It's hard for us to understand this because we are one being and one person. He is one being, three persons. Please do not look for earthly analogies. It will fail. It will fail. So just accept it as it is. Definitely he is not a three-in-one coffee. <sighs> Forgive me, I, sometimes I feel bad as a preacher when my fellow preachers fail in these very important aspects. He became man. So he was fully God, 100% God, and 100% man, but chose to limit himself for a while. Why? He must experience the Pain that we experience. Otherwise, the sacrifice would mean nothing. He must identify as one of us so he can represent us. I'm one of them. I went through what they went through. I suffered. I died. And because he had no sin, death could not hold him. He had to die a few for a few days to pay for our sins. But not for long because he himself had no sin. That's why death could not hold him. He had to rise again. And death could not stop him. And that is victory. So what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. You want to turn back? That is the shadow. He is the substance. You want to turn back? Do you know who Christ is? Do you actually know what he went through? Do you know? And sometimes if somebody, some people want to feel like, Pastor, I feel like backsliding. I say, I don't know. Maybe you're not a true believer. I think you're still on your way to hell. You better repent now. And believe. Why? How could you? How? How? I cannot Imagine how. You could even think of that. Because somebody whose hearts has been like the tablet, but not the tablet. Your heart and your mind, God wrote there his laws. You are marked. You will pursue holiness you will pursue Christ-likeness, although you feel imperfect. You feel you are far from it, but that desire every day is there. And every time we sin, we ask for, for His forgiveness, and we continue the pursuit. The pursuit of Christ-likeness. Why? It is put in there by God Himself. God Himself put it there within us. How can we deny it? The only explanation if you deny it is because it's not there. 
I hear some of you say to me, several seasons here, when I was young, I thought I was a believer. I thought I was a Christian. But the more I understood the gospel, I realized I was not. Then the moment they understood that, they humbled themselves before God. And by His grace, somehow the desires would change. It is the mark of the Spirit. It's the mark of God in the new covenant. You are not your own. As Paul would say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It is no longer about me. It's about the Christ life in me wanting to live through me. Verse 16, for, there, for where there is a covenant, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. 17, for a covenant is valid only when people are dead, for it is never in, in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood, but it was not a human who died, but animals, a replacement. For when every covenant, covenant had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, that was the ceremony, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle, all the vessels of the ministry, with the blood. And almost all things are cleansed with blood, according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. I mean, can you imagine this? Moses having this, he saw blood. If you were a priest there, you're going to get hit. It's about the blood. It's about blood. What's all this talk about the blood of Jesus? Now you understand. Now we understand. Third important point, once and for all time. Christ offered himself as a perfect sacrifice once and for all time. Unlike the earthly sacrifices that were valid for a year because they had to do it every year. I mean, you cannot let one year pass. It has to be every year. Christ's sacrifice puts away the sin of many. Take note, we will read in Scripture. The sins of many, not necessarily all. Remember, to those who truly follow Him, truly believe in Him. When He returns, He will not come to judge those who are in Him but he will offer complete salvation. Is our salvation complete? No, yes, in a sense that it is promised. Our souls are saved. But there's another promise that the decaying body, like Christ, as Christ resurrected with his body, so he promised that our bodies would be resurrected as well. And if you were cremated wherever you are in the world, in the cosmos, it will be resurrected. Verse 23, let's read that. 
Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these things by blood of animals. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made by hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often, as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, meaning the perfect timing, he has been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ's sacrifice, because of his perfect life, unblemished blood, and he is, remember, the Son of God. God became flesh. The Word became flesh. He sacrificed himself once was enough for eternity. Every generation, every year, and all the generations following can trust in him, have faith in him, repent of their sins. And his sacrifice is still powerful to forgive. Otherwise, it says here, if his blood wasn't perfect, what? He will die, suffer every year, <laughs> suffer often. No, once and for all. That's why we do not believe in sacrificing himself. Again, malapit na naman ang tawag nila, mahal na araw. No, marami na naman magsisinakulo. Magpapapaku pa. Akala nila, mawawala kasalanan nila. O kala nila, maka-identify sila sa kamatayan ni Kristo. Kulang yon kung mag-identify ka. Yung full Roman torture. Yung full. Kailang ilatigo ka walong, ap walong apat na beses, sa dulo niya may spikes yung latigo. Bukas dapat ang balat mo. Kung gusto mo maka-identify, ha? No? Volunteer pa ako pumalo sa'yo kung gusto mo. Hindi, wag, wag, wag ako. Uh, yung asawa mo na lang pag may galit sa'yo, pwede. No? Apat na pung beses. Okay? Apat na pung beses, bukas yan. Lagyan ka ng corona. Tapos dapat ang pagkapako sa'yo, timing na timing yung mga yung bandang hapon na yan. Kasi sa pulyan sa mata. Na na-dehydrated ka na, hindi ka pinapainom. Tumutulo na dugo mo dahan-dahan. Wala nang liquid yung mata mo. Sobrang sakit niyan. Kung gusto mo maka-identify, tuloy mo na. Pero kahit gawin mo yun, hindi nandun ang kapatawaran. You do not insult what he did by repeating it. You just kneel down and seek for forgiveness and trust in what he did and be thankful for what he did on the cross. Talikuran mo yung kasalanan mo, manampalataya ka, manalig ka. Yan ang kailangan. Kala mo pag sinasampal mo sarili mo, Good yun, kasi may dumidisiplina sa'yo. Ano? <laughs> A forgiveness is in Christ. It can clear your conscience if you come to Him. Humbly, with all your heart. 
verse 27. And just as it is destined for people to die once, and after that, this comes judgment. Take note. You die once. What's the next phase after dying? After this, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, judgment, right? You die and you're judged. Uh, did it say you go to a place called purgatory? I, I don't, I, I haven't read that. It's a fable. You die and you will be judged. But when Christ returns, because he offered, Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Take note, verse 20, 28, the sins of many. Not everyone will be saved, okay? There are many from the generations that will be saved. Not everybody will be saved. For the many, not for all. Will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Praise God. That's why, you know, the natural thing for us to do when we sin, if we sin, is to seek God's forgiveness. If his law is in your heart, that's the most natural thing for you to do if you sin. And you want to turn back. But when he sees you, he will not say, oh, Mr. Pilapil, I know how many sins you've committed. No, no, that's not the first line. Okay? And that's not the first line on you. He won't say, oh, I know you, you cheater, you, you adulterer, I know you, you, you steal, you, you whatever, all the sins, that's not the line. He will come with no reference to our sin. No reference. Praise be to God. No reference. That's why we eagerly await him. As a high priest, Christ entered the heavenly tabernacle to offer his blood once and for all time. He does not have to sacrifice himself again and again and again. His blood is potent, powerful, to forgive and cleanse the sins of his people through all the generations. Application. Believe in the sufficiency of of Christ's offering, his unblemished blood, through his blood, the Holy Spirit cleanses our conscience from dead works. Before you have to obey, you have to, you're forced to, that's a dead work. But if you have faith in him, the result of that is obedience. Because the faith is genuine, it is true, you want to do it in Christ. You know, our belief results in a clear conscience because every sin we want to lay down before God and seek for His forgiveness. And we want to turn away from every sin, sin, even though we know we are not perfect. We keep at it. We keep at it every day because it's not in our heart to sin. We don't want to sin because the laws are in our hearts. However, are we tempted to sin? Yes. That's why we do not put ourselves on a high pedestal saying, I'm a more morally upright than you. I'm holier than you. No, we cannot, we cannot do that. 
We are just sinners like everybody else forgiven by His grace. And it's not in our power that we turn from many of our sins. It is God Himself writing the laws in our hearts and minds. That's why, brother or sister, you want somebody to be saved? Just keep praying because you can't save them. You can't save them. You can, well, we're supposed to proclaim the gospel and that's what we do. It is God's choice who must be saved, but we must proclaim to everybody. God has put in the hearts and minds of his people the desire to obey Christ's commands. He forgave their sins and cleared their conscience. True believers maintain that clear conscience. We want to maintain that clear conscience. Number two, believe that his death led to forgiveness. There is no forgiveness without an innocent replacement. Christ was the innocent replacement. His sinless life, which he sacrificed, led to the forgiveness of many who repented. Yet it must be clear that God is the initiator of the new covenant, not man. Man cannot say, because I repented, God forgave me. One must only say, through his blood, he allowed me to repent of my sins. Through his grace, I was given, I was given this gift that I don't deserve. You think you deserve it? You think I deserve it? No, no one deserves the gift of God. It is a gift. It is a gift. And third, believe that his sacrifice is enough. There is no need to repeat the process of sacrificing animals. There is no need for dead works. His single sacrifice is powerful to forgive through the generations. Christ's sacrifice is enough for all eternity. That's why this is an eternal covenant. There is no, no third covenant. This is the eternal covenant. He freed the believers from scripturally meaningless rituals, which are dead works. God put his word in the minds and hearts and cleared the conscience. That's why you know, some of you, when you, you know your turning point, you want to read the Bible. You want to listen to it. You, you, there's a hunger for it that is God putting it in you. And you having that desire to be one with Scripture to understand it. That is from God. Though some may study it on the intellectual level or academic level. And it means nothing. It's just information. No, but when God puts it in your minds and hearts, it's not just information. It is a personal knowledge. It's a personal knowledge that God puts in you his commands. We pray for Israel and we pray for the peace of Israel and such people are blessed. But please do not contribute to the rebuilding of the temple. <laughs> That's where you stop. Don't be so fascinated with these end times unless you studied all views. There are at least four views of revelations. Don't be so in a hurry just because you watch a YouTube video. You have to study all points of views before you come to your own conclusion. I try to be careful and stay away unless I have studied it carefully. Please do the same. Pastor Ed may prophecy. The signs of the times. Okay. Ano pa? 
may propeta dito, propeta doon. May ano pa, dadami yan. Kasi nakaslagay na dadami talaga ang false prophet. That's the main fulfillment, one of the main fulfillments. Ikaw naman, ano, uto-uto. Hindi, uto-uto ka. dami kayo dito, uto-uto kayo. Kagat-kagat. By the grace of God, stop. Shut it down. Open scripture. You want to study with me? Invite me. We study. But I won't make you jump if you don't know this. You're going to study this? What? Even in martial arts, there are levels before you reach a certain place. You want to study something that the scholars are debating until now, and you don't want us to study something that where they agree on? Chill, brothers. Don't worry. The end of the world will come with or without you. So whether it's tomorrow, so what is that to you? What is that to me? We continue what we were told to do. Be witnesses of Christ. To grow as a church, as a community, that is the agenda. We just continue to do what we must do. Do not be fooled by when uh, the desolation happens. Run to the fields, run to the mountains. Before 1999, got this so-called Christian group telling me, hindi ka pa nag-iimbak ng mga pagkain. Millennium bag na. It's the tribulation. Huh? Okay, bahala ka sa buhay mo. Ay ko lang, utu-utu kayo. I was talking to pastors. Utu-utu kayo. Going back, that's a side note. Okay? Just go to scripture. You study what? The intent of the author. Don't read theology into it. Allow it to come out. The intent of the author. By context. Text and context. 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 Historical context. Literary context. What does it mean? And enjoy that. And once it's clear, you have that joy. Yes! I know what I need to obey because it became clear. Since his blood sacrifice is sufficient for all, we proclaim the gospel of Christ. Although we know that not everyone will be saved, here's the thing. Some will receive mercy. Others will receive justice. Justice of what? The penalty of sin. But no one will receive injustice because God is a just God. Please do not pray for fairness because what is fair to God is to punish you eternally. That is fair. What you seek for is mercy and grace. Yet we don't know who will be saved. Only God knows. Thus we keep proclaiming Christ and the relevance of his sacrifice. We teach others what we know about him. We must tell them about our 
the blood sacrifice of Christ. And I shared to you this poem called Blood Sacrifice. Blood and sacrifice. The blood of animals will fail to cleanse the conscience of the frail. The frail are all the men who sin. Those who run from God like the wind. But the blood of Jesus cleanses sins of the heart and the senses. A clear conscience emerges counteracting fleshly urges. Christ Jesus, perfect sacrifice. The offering that would suffice to appease God's justice and wrath and lead us into the right path. It was done once and for all time. Blood sacrifice that's so sublime. The new covenant in his blood, his promises are souls to flood. Let us all rise, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate perfect sacrifice. He had to die. Otherwise, we would not be saved. Otherwise, there would be no forgiveness. Otherwise, we would be stuck in external ceremonies. But through Christ, there is forgiveness. Through Christ is you writing your commands in our minds and hearts. You giving us a new heart. Giving us a new life. And the old has passed away. The new has come. And this new wants Christ. And this new wants the word of God. This new has faith and wants to obey. Thank you. We believe, we believe, we believe. There is only one, one and none other perfect high priest. And there is only one sacrifice. The only blood that was worthy, unblemished, sinless, perfect. To usher in this new covenant. We believe, we believe, we believe. We believe not in ourselves. We believe not in our own human philosophies. We do not believe in the wisdom of this world. But first and foremost, it is you. For all things have come from you. We believe in you, Heavenly Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit who has come to our aid. We believe in the gospel of Christ, his suffering, death, and resurrection. We believe that we must repent of our sins. And we believe we must proclaim forgiveness through repentance. We believe, O oh Lord. And as we go forth, may we proclaim your grace to all that we know. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all, God's people. Say, God bless you. Good morning.